Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. I have something really interesting to talk about. Is that <laughs> that Cher is returning to the big screen? No. Although, although you know, I think Cher is a great actor, so I think that's great news. Uh, what's she returning in? I love Cher. She's going to be in the sequel. Not sure we needed one, but there's going to be a Mama Mia sequel called Mama Mia, Here We Go Again. You know, <laughs> really, that's the best thing they can come up with for her? Well, that might have been oh, the name God. she almost gave her farewell tour, which I did see three times on three different farewell okay, tours. Well, but look, Cher, I think you're a great actor, but really, this is beneath you. I mean, from Mask and um, what was the one she won, won an Academy Award for? Moonstruck. And do you know, I went back and took a look recently. Paul Newman awarded her her Oscar. Do you know who Cher was up against in 1988 to win that Oscar? No. Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, Holly Hunter, and Sally Kirkland. That's a pretty stacked field. Winner is Cher in Moonstruck. When I was little, my mother said, I want you to be something. And, and I don't think that this means that I am somebody, but I guess I'm on my way. Thank you. Okay, and now we're going to do Mamma Mia 2. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> There's something wrong with well, this picture. Meryl did Mamma Mia 1, and Meryl and Cher starred together in Cher's first movie, Silkwood. Okay, well, uh, you know, can we go back to my story, which I think oh, is yes, just... Oh, yes, yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Because Cher, you know, Cher will definitely review your movie. We think you're fabulous, and I don't know why you said yes. Okay, moving along. Okay, so do you know who Liz Hanna is? I do because of your post on okay, Facebook. I, you know, I posted something on Facebook and said I was going to talk about it this week. Liz Hanna is somebody who read a biography written by Catherine Graham about her life called Personal History. Okay, she reads this biography and she said there were 10,000 stories in it, but she decided that she was going to, she wanted to write a screenplay. And so she decided she was going to write on the backdrop of Catherine Graham and Ben Bradley deciding to uh, publish the Pentagon Papers. And because she thinks this woman is just so interesting, she couldn't stand it. So she wrote the screenplay to try to get an agent. It never occurred to her they would actually make the film. So she sends the screenplay out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she gets a call from Amy Pascal. Now, <laughs> interestingly enough, I mean, because uh, Amy calls everybody. When was the last time you talked to Amy? <laughs> I would think it's a prank if she called me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, she said it never occurred to her that the script would be interesting to anybody because she said it was a script about two people in their 50s in which no one kisses each other. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, yeah, great line, right? So anyway, mm -hmm. so she, three days later, she gets a call from Amy Pascal, who says, I have to do this film. Now, you know, Amy Pascal was... The former head of Sony. I know. But also, we, you know, we should also go into her emails that were hacked by the Chinese... We won't go there. Okay, so at that time, Amy was probably the most powerful woman in Hollywood. Would you agree? She was definitely up there. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So she says, I was really wowed by it. She found a unique way of telling a story about America that is also a story about a person. I read it on a Friday afternoon and owned it by that night. Okay, just that alone <laughs> makes me really excited, right? So so little Hannah goes, oh, yeah, great. I'd love to do it. And the next thing she knows, she gets another phone call saying, okay, 
Not only that, but we want to shoot it and get it out by December, meaning nine months later. Now, what do you? What would you venture is the average time for a, a, a movie to get made? Years, made right? Made and marketed. It can take years. Although <laughs> right. the movie we're talking about this week was shot in seven weeks. Okay. Well, but I'm sure it took years to get to the actual shooting tables, you know? So anyway, then she gets a call. Well, Steven Spielberg's decided he wants to direct it. <laughs> and she's like, oh, Steven Spielberg is I see. I see. A B team. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Then she gets a call that Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep want to play Graham and Bradley. Please tell me Cher is going to be the next call. Okay, you can bring Cher to the table, but I'd like to show you a little intellectual girlfriend that you are. You know, I brought it to the table this week. So so sure enough, Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks are going to be in this, this, uh, this movie. It's coming out in December. We're definitely, definitely going to review it. And it's going to be an Oscar hopeful for sure. But I love the trajectory of how this all happened. And to me, it's exactly how films should happen. Somebody writes something spectacular. Somebody reads it. Somebody says, let's get it done. And there doesn't have to be years of negotiation and money and da 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 you know? So mm-hmm. you go, Liz Hannah. I can't wait to see you. And I heard John Williams is going to do the music. Oh, I didn't know that. What, what yep. else has he done? I don't really know him. He has done everything. Do you remember we talked about him in our podcast about the documentary on scoring a movie? I'm sure and we did, but you're going to have to refresh my... He is Steven Spielberg's go-to guy. Yeah. He did, you know, some little ditties that you might have heard of, like the theme to Jaws. The music for Star Wars. Jaws, three notes. Three notes sent him to stardom. You know, another reason why this movie is of personal interest to me is back when I was an attorney, I worked for a firm in New York, and there was a lawyer there, and he was the lawyer who convinced the New York Times to publish the Pentagon Papers. So you might recall, they printed them first, and then a court stopped them. They were charged with violating the Espionage Act. Remember, yep. And that's when the Washington Post decided to print them. Well, the name of the film is The Post, and I just wanted to say I love the trajectory of this, and I also love that women had a primary pivotal role in all of it. You know, just love it, love it, love it. So that's my news for the week. Do you have anything else? Well, I'm curious if you watched episode three of Liar. No, I didn't. Did you? Oh, I did. Yes. They revealed more than I thought they would. And so I'm wondering if that's, you know, false clues or if it's if they've really already revealed who the liar is. Oh, the, the third episode, I'd already seen that. Yes. And I, t- I said they revealed who did it. So do you think that was a bad thing that they revealed it? I'm shocked that they didn't wait until maybe say episode five since it's a six episode uh-huh. story. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely going to make me watch the next episode well, to see how go. this continues to unfold. Okay. What I did do this week... <laughs> Yes, Lalo. You know, I don't know whether to thank you and say you're amazing or to say I hate you, but Lalo suggested that I watch Mindhunter, which is newly brought out on Netflix. It's a Netflix original, which they're not really putting out there in a big way, but it's it's about um, it's based on a on a book that you know talks about how the behavioral sciences division of the FBI came into place and so these FBI agents go and really get into interviewing people like Speck you remember Speck I, everyone they interviewed I know exactly who they were Speck was the guy who killed seven nurses outside of Chicago and so it's it, it's a 10 part series it's this is um season 1 and I sat down I watched 10 hours in a row Really? Yeah, I did. 
Yeah. I had to laugh because when Lalu suggested it to us, she said she, she wasn't sure that... She didn't suggest it to us, my dear. She suggested it to me and said, and then later on said, are you going to make O'Toole watch it as if and I then, could make you do anything? <laughs> right. And then she cautioned me. She's like, O'Toole, if you watch it, do not watch the first scene. Like jump in around minute six. I thought and the first then, scene was amazing. I thought well, it was We had a comment amazing. from another listener that said she thought nothing much happened after the first scene. So, of course, I had to watch the first scene just to see. I, I can't even protect myself, you know. Lalu was right. I probably shouldn't have watched it. But Is that it all just, you watched? You, you weren't compelled to watch more? No. <laughs> and, in fact, I probably would have turned it off sooner, except I had to get to at least the moment where Lalu told me to start. But yeah, it, it didn't really grab me. Okay, it's done in in the style of all the president's men. And you it's sort of like FBI agents in the 60s with their little ties and their white socks. Everybody knows they're an FBI agent. I think it's brilliant. I think it's really, really smart. I think you have to r- think very carefully as you're watching, oh, okay, that theory makes sense. Oh, that doesn't make sense. It gives you an opportunity to make your own best guesses as to what the profiles of these people are. And the acting, especially around the um, the killers, is genius. These people really show the complexity of what's behind a mind that does something like this. It's really, really good. Do you know why it didn't grab me? Oh, I don't know. Probably because of the violence, but go ahead. No, no, it wasn't that. I thought it would be more violent because of Lalu's very kind warning, which did make it easier to watch. There wasn't a major female character. So I started scrubbing through the first episode well, just is. to see. His girlfriend is a major character. But I mean, how many scenes were there when I just randomly scrubbed through where it was just a room full of 20 men? Okay, can I just and say I thought, in, know, to, in today's the world... The ratio was so off, it, it couldn't hold my interest. In, today, in today's world where we're facing everything from Weinstein to all kinds of, of really military blunders in my mind. It just goes to show you should be glad there are no women in there because we don't belong with those people. We don't think like them, we don't talk like them, and we don't wish for what they wish for. So in a way, I, it didn't bother me at all. I, I think it's excellent. I think it's smart. I think it's it moves a little bit slowly. It does. It's also it also feels like it's shot in black and white. I don't even know if it is or not. It might be. But I thank you, Lalu, I think. But I watched all ten episodes. Okay, it wasn't totally one sitting, but I watched it in thirty six hours. Does that count? Wow. I know. We'll see. Netflix okay. is gonna bump you up there, yeah. Cube. Well, <laughs> you'd think they, they would figure psyched. out what to put in front of me by now, but still they have not, alas. Alas. <laughs> We're gonna take you back to the Hamptons International Film Festival where we taped Breathe. Why do you keep your disabled people in prison? No one's believed it's possible to live as you do. Well, we should open the gates and set them free. Okay, we all went. We've got Diane Baird here, who brought us to the River Run Film Festival, and who I also went to high school with. And we've got her here, and we all went to Breathe. And I don't mean that we went to actually breathe in and out, but we went to the movie Breathe, and we held our breath through most of the movie. We went to cry, not to breathe. Exactly. (laughs) As did everybody else in the theater. You know, it's funny. There haven't been a lot of movies in my mind in the last couple of years that were filled with tears, you know, but... So what's what would you how would you synopsize this movie? It totally reminded me of Me Before You as a period piece with a circle of friends and a pre-existing love. Okay, and you know what it reminded me of? Theory of everything. Oh. It's called motor neuron disease. Life expectancy is two years. 
I want us to be together for as long as we've got. It affects everything. I think yes. I win on that one. You two. definitely win. Okay. But it must be very hard to lie still, no motion, for, you know, a good chunk of two months of filming. Right? It's very hard to play a real person. Yeah. Well, and that's true, too. Yeah, especially when they have film of that person, mm -hmm. which they do. The story, though, is very interesting in that um, he had polio. And when you had polio back then and you were totally paralyzed from it, you basically then were hospital-ridden for the rest of your life on a respirator. Iron lung. Right. On Those an iron, were iron lungs. Exactly. They were stacked up. And he and his wife decided, no, not so much. They were going to actually bring him home, and they came up with all these ways to do it. And he did change the trajectory of how people treated people with, um, with full-blown polio. And Hugh Bonneville, Lord yeah. Grantham from Downton Abbey, he had a wonderful turn in this as the inventor who helped invent his chair. Didn't you think he was heartwarming? He, oh, he yeah. hurt my mm -hmm. heart. He was so earnestly trying to get it right, mm -hmm. you know, figuring it out. And at one point he flies to Spain because they're in trouble. You know, they've gotten themselves in a mess. Is he, he's a wonderful actor. He's the guy you want to be your father in every all ways, don't you think? He mm -hmm. certainly wanted to be my inventor. <laughs> he <laughs> was clutch. Design my chair. Yeah. <laughs> so did you think it, I, I found that the movie, some of the cinematography in the movie, especially at the beginning, when they're in South Africa falling in love and really being in love, I thought those were, when they were dancing on the cliff in, in South Africa, I thought that was one of the most romantic scenes I've seen in a really long time. I could ask you to dance, and you could say, well, I don't feel like dancing. And then I could say, well, maybe some other time. They laid it out very beautifully that mm -hmm. they had this great love affair. Now, the other thing is she is, you know, she is so easy to, to be in that moment because she is so vulnerably beautiful. And the she being Claire Foy yeah. from The Crown, Queen So Elizabeth. beautifully vulnerable is what she is, and so... It's easy for somebody to be madly in love with her in that moment. Did you? I thought she did a great job in the role. She's a great actor. Your life is my life. And last week, we mentioned on the podcast, the six things that I learned about Julie Andrews. Another show that Julie Andrews watches and loves is The Crown. I have to say, I love all the things that are for me, like Luther and Vera and some of the really great uh, English dramas, obviously, when Downton Abbey was on. I Lapped it up and would be crowned. Like the crown. Oh, love it. Love it. She's mm -hmm. a huge fan of her. I am too. I am mm -hmm. too. I think it's great. Okay, so also, Andrew Garfield, everybody knows him from, from, um... Spider-Man? No. The, uh, war, the war movie. He was nominated for an Oscar for Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, was that mm -hmm. him? Yeah, oh, he was my very gosh. good at that. Wow, such a different uh, personality role mm -hmm. to play. Mm -hmm. Wow, I didn't realize that. I thought he was amazing as well, and I also thought their son did a great job. The older, the old, when he played the older part in the son, Dean Charles Chapman. Yep, amazingly mm -hmm. good. Yep, mm -hmm. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> There's a moment in time toward the end of the film when um, he's actually asked a friend to help him end his life. It's time, like you know, a good time to do it. And the way they do it, the way they roll it out, is very, very different from the way it was done in... Me Before You. Yeah, Me Before You. But when that car drives by with their friend who actually gave him whatever the concoction was that was going to... And he just looks out the window at his, at, at his wife and son sitting there. It's a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. It's a moment of intimacy 
between people who are doing the right thing. You know, it was, uh, it was really something. It's a very inspiring movie because it is a real story. Mm-hmm. And Andy Serkis, who directed this, this was his directorial yeah. debut. And yes. he talked after the film, and he explained that um, he's never directed anything like this, and he was working with their son on something else and asked if he could direct it, and their son said yes. We managed to raise the finance for it in, in literally in seven weeks and then shoot the whole thing in seven weeks. And then I went back to Jungle Book, so... Yeah, he said he was always just blown away by his friend's parents' story. Jonathan Cavendish is my very, very good friend. We founded a, a company called the Imaginarium Studios, which the Imaginarium is a, is a performance capture studio. So it's the studio that uses the technology that I, I've become associated with over the last 15 years or so, and, um, and a production entity as well. So it's a creatively led technology base for furthering the art and craft of actors becoming digital characters in all sorts of different films. But one of the films that was on the slate happened to be his parents' life story. And we, we were very, very busy developing the, the, the company and films from, from me to direct. And, um, and then I took the script home one night that Bill Nicholson had written, or where they'd got up to with it anyway. And it just deeply affected me. Uh, he hugely, profoundly affected me. And I said, so I went back to Jonathan and I said, um, look, I know that this is slightly outside my wheelhouse and, you know, uh, it's not orcs and elves and wolves and animals of the jungle, but can I have a crack at directing your parents' life story? And he, he said yes. So, so I, mean, I, I, was, I was so inspired by, by Robin and Diana, and, uh, and I, I actually know Diana very well, the real Diana Cavendish, very, very well. So, so it was a, a real honor to be able to bring their story to the screen. And Andy Serkis, he's one of the world's experts. At the festival, they, they introduced him as the best performance capture role guy in the world. Mm, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Darling, call Teddy. I've had an idea. A wheelchair that does his breathing for him. Are you sure it's safe? Diana Rigg was in this. Do you remember? Do you know? What, 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 yeah. What did she play? She was the old lady that they went to um, ask for money. Right. And after she was off the screen, I thought, oh my gosh, that's Diana Rigg. Yeah, what have we seen her in? All sorts of spy movies. Um, okay, I just looked it up. Secret Service. So yes. a, ca- yeah, a capture role is rolling Service. shutter is a method of image capture in which a still picture in a camera or each frame of a video is captured not by taking a snapshot of the entire scene at a single instant in time, but rather by scanning across the scene rapidly, either vertically or horizontally. Okay, I, I have no idea what that means, but apparently he's very good at it. Technical prowess. And, you know, in this movie, I think this is the perfect transition, Tom Hollander, you pointed out while we were watching Hollister, he plays the twin brothers. One actor plays both. Right. Diana, this is your future life we're talking about. You hardly know him. He's practically a stranger. The thing is... I just know this is it. And that's a very special, special fact. But you know, I have to say they didn't do that well because it was obvious because one was always way on the right and one was always on the left. They were never really standing together except for at one moment when one was standing behind the other. One was way in the the forefront and one was always in the background. Yep. And so, and that to me is obviously when you're using the same, you know, it was used a lot in Parent Trap. You know, in, in Nancy Meyer's version of Parent Trap, they were never 
really on top of each other together unless yeah yeah, one yeah exactly mm-hmm. but the cinematography was beautiful mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was filmed in south africa and it was also filmed in england and uh you know everything about it but also there was a warmth of friendship like i believe in friendship in a really big way and these friends stayed with him for 30 years and supported him in a way that he could never have lived his life without it and I thought, really, it was it was about love and it was about friendship. It wasn't about you know being debilitated. You know, no, I totally agree. And it reminded me of other British films, such as Four Weddings and a Funeral mm-hmm. or Notting Hill, where you have this very close circle of friends who just stay small friends. circle of friends. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, their wonderful ability to toast one another and have a party and celebrate at moments that could have otherwise been pretty bleak. Well, they were, some of them were bleak. And yet the friends lifted them up and kept them going. Yeah. I was very touched, too, at the very, very end, where they were acknowledging how much work he had done on behalf of people with disabilities to make changes in hospitals, and they referred to them as respinauts. Hmm. So respirator and astronaut, I'm assuming, is how they formed the word, because they were being true pioneers. There must be something I can do. Get me out of here. Robin's going to leave the hospital. No one with your husband's disability exists outside a hospital. Has anyone ever tried? Robin! Robin! You're right, darling. The first to leave a hospital. There's a brutal scene in this movie. And the brutal scene is when they're, I think they believe in there in Switzerland. And um, they go into a hospital that's, there's a brutal scene that looks like it's out of a horror movie Mm -hmm. or out of some sort of movie from an alien creature. And they walk in, it's a very sterile environment, and it almost looks like it's a mortuary where they, you know, they roll out the bodies, and all that's sticking out up and down both sides of this sterile room are these heads. It's it's layers of iron lungs, which if you have, if you had Guillain-Barre or you had polio back uh-huh. then, you were put in an iron lung, and only your head stuck out, and you had a mirror above your head that you were able to look at the rest of the room. And these people... This is another amazing the, thing about Diane. Not only does she know so much about movies, but she's a real healthcare professional. <laughs> I mean, Halster, you and I couldn't even play one on TV, well, she's but Diane knows know about Iron Lungs. She's nurse and married to the valedictorian doctors. But here's the thing. Every face in that room was just what, vacant. That was Don't dis- you think the that word was, is vacant? That was disturbing. And it was so effective. And you also knew that it was probably exactly the way it was, which made it terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And each face yeah. was reflected in a mirror. So you got yeah. yeah. We didn't see their faces. We saw the mirror of their mm-hmm. faces, which made the vacancy of their look even stronger. And they didn't even respond when they saw him being wheeled in. It was obvious he was one of them that was working with a respirator wheelchair. So, How do you live like this? Yes, you suicide. I love you, and I want Jonathan to know you. You can't love this. Yes, I can. Okay, don't you think this is going to be a contender? Oh, I think Andrew Garfield is definitely a contender. You don't think she will be? I think uh, she was better I, than him. I, oh, no. I think you didn't he, think so? No. Oh, I thought she was amazing. I thought she was amazing, but I thought he was amazing plus plus. I'm not feeling too good. I can't move. What's going on? Get him on a respirator. What about you, O'Toole? You think? I loved them both, and I I love their dynamic together. They were very pretty. Oh, excellent, excellent chemistry for the two of them. So kudos to them all, right? And take your tissues. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, whatever happened to handkerchiefs? That's the real question. <laughs> you know? And Hollister, they made it right under the wire of your two-hour cutoff for a movie. Yeah, you know, I know. It did very well at the festival. They added an extra showing, actually, because there were so many people who didn't get to see it that wanted to. So, so you know, it's a definite see. It, it's a definite go-to, no question. But really, let's, let's remind ourselves that it's about friendship and love. It's not really about... Uh, dis disability. I don't want to just survive. I want to truly live. Inspired by Claire Foy <laughs> in Breathe, and she also stars, of course, in The Crown, playing Queen Elizabeth II. And she's a mesmerizing a face in both, don't you think? I love my life. Oh, for sure. She's I a know, great, amazing. great actor. Yeah. So you suggest, and I thought this was a great idea, that for our list of six this week, we do our six favorite royal portrayals on the big or small screen. Okay, now here's what I did. I have 22. <laughs> really? I did. Okay, how yeah. did you winnow it down? Well, you know what? I, I wanted to start off by saying I have 22, so I figured, okay... If it's a minute and a half, I mean, we, usually this takes six minutes, about a minute for each film, right? So then I'm thinking, what if I just read them off really quickly and took three <laughs> minutes? Would that count? And then I thought, no, because if you tried to do that, I would say, absolutely not. It's not acceptable. You're cheating again. That would so be your royal decree. It's I just true. picked three randomly, but I'm not sure these are the best. And I think we should do this list of six every week for the next six weeks, and maybe we'll go through half of them. There's great <laughs> film around... Don't you think there's great film around Royal? Well, it's so funny, Hollister, because I was thinking about, okay, what am I going to list as my first choice? And I haven't seen this movie in so long, I started getting worried that maybe it's politically incorrect. And then I thought, well, I'm not a monarchist, so maybe they're all politically incorrect if they're about kings and queens. And for a brief moment, I actually thought about doing something cutesy, like Michael Patrick King... Queen Latifah and Freddie Prince Jr., but I figured you'd probably shoot me. So yeah, I would, actually. I, I did just, I kept yeah. a three. Okay, so you want to start off? Okay, my first one is the 1956 movie, The King and I, starring Yul Brenner, oh, yes. Deborah Carr, or as they say in Sleepless in Seattle, is it Kerr or is it Carr, and Rita Moreno, which won five Oscars. I even liked the remake with your star, Jodie Foster. You know, she, I, didn't, I can't see Jodie Foster as a love interest. It didn't work for me. I didn't see him falling in love with her. She's just, I don't know, there's something about her. I didn't get I, it. I saw her as a teacher. I thought, yeah. you know, yeah. was, I, I liked um, her in the hoop skirt. What a great choice. Do you want me to sing a few bars of something? You know, I was really hoping you would. I kind of missed Diane oh. already in this podcast. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to just ignore that, and I'm going to go to <laughs> Anne of a Thousand Days, done in 1969, oh. um, which is about the founding of the Church of England. And if you want to know about the beginnings of the Church of England, it's a great movie to watch. Um, it's Richard Burton and Genevieve um, Bijold, I think is how you say her name. And it's, <laughs> it's smooth. It's like glass. It's, you know, Richard Burton. Nobody does a king like Richard Burton. And Anne of a Thousand Days, and she did only get to be queen for a thousand days until he had her head cut off and changed his church because he wanted to sleep with somebody else. So... Anne of a Thousand Days, I highly recommend it. And I didn't go watch it again, but I had watched it about two years ago. And it really does stand the test of time, considering it came out in 69. Wow, I'll have to check it out. Okay. okay, for my next one, I'm going to go with the 1998 movie Elizabeth, which is the movie that really put Kate Blanchett on my radar. I am not your Elizabeth. I am no man's Elizabeth. 
I will have one mistress here. And no master. Yeah. Here's a little interesting bit I of trivia. with her hair in that. Do you remember her hair in that? Well, I mean, she was playing Queen Elizabeth the first. but her with hair the white was face. odd. It was just odd. I, don't <laughs> I see your point. Okay. Yes. Okay. Although it's hard to fact check Queen Elizabeth the I, first. You're right. Hair. I mean, it's totally shallow of me, and I take it back. But <laughs> it. I had trouble with her hair in that film. But now here's your little bit of trivia. Okay. Guess who produced the sequel? Elizabeth the Golden Age in 2007. I have no idea. Jonathan Cavendish. Oh. Whose huh. parents were the real-life inspirations for the movie Breathe. Well, there you go. Yeah, he also produced the Bridget Jones movies. So, I didn't know that. Yes, yeah. yeah it's so big... funny that I, we should first... He first comes across our radar now as somebody, you know, when he's had some other thing. I just didn't know. I thought mm-hmm. he was sort of new to the scene. Huh. Yeah, no, he's on our radar now. Okay, I'm going to go with Beckett. Oh, another movie I haven't seen. Okay, Hollister. Okay. Well, it's Richard Burton again and Peter O'Toole. When you put the two of them on the screen together, how could you go wrong? But it's the story of when the king made Beckett chancellor, and then Beckett turned on him. And because he, he stood tall with his morals and ethics and refused to bow to the king's will that he should say certain things. And... It's a great movie for right now about standing your ground and and speaking your own truth and not doing something because somebody else wants you to. It's a really great movie. So I went with Beckett. This is Hal Wallace speaking from Shepperton Studios in England, where I made Beckett with Richard Burton and where we've been together again on Anne of the Thousand Days, a film on the scale of Beckett, but on a broader emotional canvas for this is basically a great love story. Richard Burton portrays Henry VIII, a king intrigued with one of the young women in his court, Anne Boleyn. As Anne Boleyn, a remarkable new talent emerges. Her name, Genevieve Bujold. I'm mad for you. I dream of you at night. I long for you by day. I'm no good with any other woman. I think of nothing but you. All right, for my last one, I figured since I did a king and I did a queen, I'm going to do a princess for the royal flush because (laughs) I'm still on a Julie Andrews kick. I couldn't help myself. I'm going with the Princess Diaries. And oh, really? Okay. I, thought, I actually am not surprised at that. You, know, you and Julie, like you're still hung up on her a week right? later. Okay. And Gary Marshall, who we did a podcast about, he got Julie Andrews to sing again. I thought this was so moving because, you know, this was after she had the operation and lost her voice. They penned a song for her where she said, if you can write me a song that only uses five notes, I will sing. The queens rarely do karaoke. Oh, Grandmom, come on. This- and this is my little bit of trivia for you. Okay, Julie Andrews' character in The Prince's Diaries has what in common with one of the characters in Silence of the Lambs? Just when you thought you couldn't even compare these two movies, I'm going to link them together. Well, I can compare anything to The Silence of the Lambs. I think you can. Cinderella, I'm there. Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) Um, Pretty Woman, Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) It takes the lotion and puts it on its skin or it gets the hose again. Okay. Um, My backup clue, it's Julie Andrews' character and Jodie Foster's character. Clarice? They're both yes. named Clarice? Yes, oh. you got it. Clarice, 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 Clarice. Some girls are fair. Some are jolly and fit. 
Some have a well-bred air or a well-honed wit. Each one's a jewel with a singular shine, a work of art with its own rare design. I didn't know she's, her name's Clarice in that. Was that oh. just done for me, O'Toole? That was just done for you. Oh, you know, I'm really grateful. <laughs> I'm going to crown you the queen of Silence of the Lambs trivia. Okay, and I am going to end because I'm actually, we've traded roles. I'm sounding like the smart girl to, through this entire <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay, so my third choice is going to be A Man for All Seasons oh. with Vanessa Redgrave and Robert Shaw. What? Okay, you know, you have your own royal flesh because you just named three <sighs> movies I've never seen. Well, not only that, there are three movies from the same era, like in the 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. But again, I had 22 movies. So, <laughs> so that's why it was hard. So I picked three that sort of seemed like they all made sense together. But I had no idea. And people should go look it up. Go look up royal movies. And you're going to be surprised by the plethora of solid movies that have been done around the royal family. It just goes to show that something about kings and queens that, you know, is bigger than a deck of cards. <laughs> I was so sure you were going to name the King's Speech because I know how you love Colin Firth. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I thought, yeah, it was a good movie. Or The Last but... King of Scotland. I thought that would be on your list. Yeah, no, not so much. Now, Man for All Seasons won seven Academy, six Academy Awards, I think. Wow. You know, something really depressing I heard once is, do you remember back when Al Pacino made his movie Looking for Richard? And it was a documentary about him playing Richard III. Oh, right, right, and right. at the time, they were thinking of naming it Richard III, but they said, no, that'll be a box office flop in America because Americans won't go because they'll say, I never saw Richard I or Richard II. <laughs> like, they'll think it's a trilogy. <laughs> Pretty funny. Huh. I, know, I was so depressed because I think they were being serious, you know. Right, well, now that you brought up Al Pacino, I can also reference back to Mindhunter this past weekend. They used the movie, Al Pacino's movie, guess which movie? Um, Scent of a Woman? No, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh. If this takes place in the, it takes place in the 60s, 70s, so, it, you know, Dog Day Afternoon was this guy who goes crazy because they press him, press him, press him. And basically one of the premises underneath how you walk a killer through something is you recognize that fear is their primary motivator. And they show these scenes from Dog Day Afternoon, which I recall not vividly, but they certainly came back to my memory about how crazy the people who were trying to negotiate with him were making him during the film. And it was a really interesting way to interject an old film into a into a show like this. It was really well done. That's fantastic. And did you see, speaking of royal movies, the BBC and Amazon Studios are going to team together to do a TV film. It's going to be a new adaptation of King Lear. And guess who's going to star? I feel like I'm just, I'm spoon feeding you Silence of the Lambs news. Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. Well, there you go. Who, this has got to be at least their third movie together because they did Remains of the Day and Howard's End. But it sounds interesting. It's going to be set in present day England, but a fictionalized present day England. And Emily Watson's going to be in it and Jim Broadbent. Oh my gosh, that's great. Mm-hmm. That wraps up our list of six. Tell us what week. we missed. And we have a new email. Comments at screenthoughts.net. Yes, do email us. We'll be anxious to hear from you and we'll speak with you all next week. Bye.